Luke 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Now, this is a, a request that Christians often make. Teach us how to pray. It's worth, worth asking the question behind the question. Lord, teach us to pray. Why did one of the disciples ask that question of Jesus? And why might we ask that question of Jesus? Lord, teach us to pray. What's the, 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 the question behind the question? Of course, if you are a Christian, you'll be able to give a good spiritual answer as to why you should pray. But just think about it a little bit more. Um, think behind it. I think there, there are three big categories, I think, about why somebody might say, Lord, teach me to pray. Um, both those of us who are Christians, actually those who aren't Christians might, might want to ask this question. I think, first of all, prayer is a basic human need. There seems to be something in the human heart that needs to express prayer. And we see that because in, there is no culture in the world which has ever existed, as far as we know, where people have not prayed. Every, every culture, every society, people pray. It just seems to be a fundamental human need. And I think, really, everyone prays. Everyone prays in some form, because everybody at some point makes a kind of appeal to something which is exterior, outside of themselves, or to some kind of higher power. And people might not even, certainly in our society now, might not see this in supernatural terms, might not think of what they're doing as prayer, certainly not praying to God. Somebody might even claim to be an, an atheist with no belief in God at all. But you can see that people, in a sense, are still needing to articulate what really looks like a form of prayer. And, and this can take all kinds of different expressions. So just kind of just bear with me as my thought experiment here. So I think sometimes when somebody, something happens, and somebody just lets rip with a chain of expletives, in a sense, no, I'm not going to give an example, Matthew. In a sense, that is a sort of prayer. It's, a, it's an appeal to something outside themselves. A moment of pressure, a moment of stress, all this stuff comes out. Now, it's not prayer as we would think of prayer. It's not prayer as pressure be directed, but it's, it's this sort of appeal to something outside themselves. Or if somebody goes to a therapist and you sit on the therapist's chair and you engage in conversation with a therapist, there's a sense in which I think that is a kind of prayer. It's, a, it's an appeal to something outside of yourself, a, a, a desire to express something beyond yourself. I think even in some of the, what we've been seeing with all that's been going with Harry and Meghan, is it's a, it feels like Harry is making this kind of appeal to the universe, doesn't it? Whatever the rights and wrongs of that might be. Or if, um, if the superstitions that people often have, it's amazing how even people who are actually very rational people can still have superstitions. Uh, they, they crop up in all kinds of ways, the, 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 the habits that people adopt and feel anxious if they break those habits, or when your football team is playing, you always have to wear the same pair of socks or something, because people have these superstitions. And so I think what we see is that there has never been a culture, a society where people don't pray, and I think there is no individual who in some way at some point doesn't actually try and pray, even if they don't know what they're doing or who they're calling out to. So there seems to be this basic human need for prayer. Second big thing we can see about why we might say teach us to pray is that we know that prayer can be difficult when we actually consciously, deliberately, intentionally try to pray. Often our experience can be that that can feel like a difficult process. And one of the interesting things about this story 
this encounter is that it's one of the disciples who goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now, those of us who are Christians, of course, as we've been doing already this morning, we pray to Jesus. Now, this disciple was with Jesus. Doesn't that make it easier? Surely prayer should be straightforward. You've got Jesus right in front of your eyes, and you're still saying, Lord, teach me how to pray. So there can be something about prayer which is, is difficult for us. We all know what it's like. We try to focus, and we immediately get distracted. Everything's going around. You're, you lose focus so quickly. You sit in your quiet place. I just heard that if you built yourself a, a prayer cupboard in your airing cupboard. Is this true? <laughs> just exposing your prayer habits. Vicky, Vicky Clark has built a prayer closet in her airing cupboard. <laughs> in the process. Even in there, in the special place of prayer, I'm sure even there, there will be things, times when even Vicky loses focus when the kids come knock on the door or whatever. It's just, just what happens. Or you're, you're trying to pray and, and you know Jesus is real and there and you know you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but still it can feel at times like nothing's happening. Am I just speaking words into the air? It can feel like that at times, can't it, when we pray? It's a bit like when, when, uh, Georgie, our oldest daughter, at the age of 25, one of my daughters has at last actually learned to drive. It's amazing, isn't it? Passed her test on Friday. Well done, Georgie. And on the first attempt, all the best people pass first attempt. There's a divided the room between those who are the best and the, and the rest of you failures. It was, it was much easier back in the 80s when I took my test. Um, anyway, you're trying to, you learn to drive and you know what it's like that when you're first trying to balance the accelerator and the clutch and you stall the whole time and it's terrifying because you're afraid if you hit the accelerator too hard you'll smash into something. And, and prayer can, feel, can have some of that kind of awkwardness about it, can't it, at times? It just doesn't seem to be engaging. And so that's a reason why we might say, Lord, teach us to pray. And then the third big reason, I think, is because we do have this desire to connect with the divine. We want to connect with God. Prayer reflects a basic human need. We know at times it can be difficult, but... We want to know connection with God. And if you're a Christian, you are in relationship with God. And you should want, it should be natural for us as Christians to want to grow deeper in our relationship with him. And so we say, Lord, teach us to pray because we want to know more of this Savior who's transformed our lives. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this is the invitation to you today to come and find God, to know him and grow in this relationship with him as well. And so, like the disciple, we say, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus, obviously, is good at prayer. The launch point for this encounter is that Jesus himself has been praying. And when he comes out of the place of prayer, the disciple says, Lord, teach us how to pray. And when the disciple asks this, Jesus' response is what we call the Lord's Prayer. This prayer is recorded here in Luke chapter 11, also in Matthew 6. Um, it's a slightly different uh, prayer in the in, in way the words are set out in those two accounts. might well have been that Jesus actually taught on this on more than one occasion. I think that's probably true of lots of Jesus' teaching, and so recorded slightly differently in the two different Gospels. And, and the way that we say the prayer, how we prayed it this morning, put it, it should be up here as well, next slide, uh, there's a, a final line, what's called a doxology, a hymn of praise. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. 
Amen. Now that, that line doesn't appear in either of the accounts in Matthew or in Luke, um, but it sums up the rest of the prayer. And uh, we think from the evidence that actually Christians have been praying that line since the first or second century. So right from the early days of the church. And so for 2,000 years, Christians have been using this prayer to learn how to pray. It's been a pattern of Christian prayer for 2,000 years. And for these three weeks, we're going to be using it in that way. So uh, this Sunday and the next two Sundays, we'll be teaching on the Lord's Prayer and through the three weeks, encouraging you to use the Lord's Prayer to help you pray uh, through these three weeks, focusing on prayer, fasting, seeking more of God. So let's think about how the prayer helps us. The first way it can help us is, is to think about the way that having a structure actually can work alongside being spontaneous, how those two things often help each other. Now, we are a charismatic church. That means that we expect, we look for the power, the presence, the fruit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be operative amongst us. We uh, expect unplanned things to happen. We have a plan, we have a structure. We know that we start at 10, we finish at about 11.30. Uh, we're getting used to this slightly new structure now. We know that the kids are going to go out after about 15 minutes. We know we're going to worship for 20 or 30 minutes at the beginning, then somebody's going to stand up and talk. And We have that kind of structure, but we expect un unplanned things to happen as well in terms of how people contribute and the way that God moves. And generally, the prayers that we pray are spontaneous. They're generally not written down prayers. So when I pray, as I expect I will in a few minutes at the end of this message, I haven't planned what I will pray. We pray spontaneously. John and Beth, as I've led us in prayer this morning, they were, in a sense, spontaneous prayers, not composed. But structure can be helpful. Actually, structure in some ways can increase rather than decrease spontaneity if it's used in the right way. We see this in all kinds of ways in life, that if you become disciplined in something, then that can actually help you to be more creative. We, we see that particularly in things like sport or playing an instrument, that if you become disciplined in practicing an instrument, learning your scales, learning the mechanics of how your instrument works, if you put the hours in, learning the structure, you are then free to be creative and spontaneous in how you play. If you haven't put that discipline in, if you haven't learned those skills, it's impossible actually to be spontaneous and creative in the way that you might make music. And prayer can be something like that. The way that the Lord speaks, the way that the Lord teaches us in this prayer gives us a structure which actually can help us to be more creative and spontaneous in our praying. Now, think about this question. Was Jesus charismatic? I think the answer to that is yes. <laughs> Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus would, as we read the gospel accounts, seemingly at times just spontaneously do amazing things. But how did Jesus teach his disciples to pray? Jesus taught his disciples to pray by giving them the Lord's Prayer. And certainly my experience has been that very often praying the Lord's Prayer has helped me to step out into greater freedom in my prayers. I've often found that if I'm stuck in my prayers, if it's becoming difficult to form my words, if I find that I am getting distracted, to pray the Lord's Prayer gives me freedom in then how I pray because I pray a phrase of the Lord's Prayer and that leads then to praying for all kinds of things which springboard off that. So the structure of the Lord's Prayer can actually help us, I think, to be more spontaneous and free and creative in our prayers. Another thing which we see the Lord's Prayer does is that it is a wonderful way for us of express, expressing Christian 
unity. Uh, we'll be taking communion together in a little bit. So it's going to be the first time we've celebrated the Lord's Supper in this building, which would be great. As we do that, what we do, that we were reminded of our, our, of our oneness. We're reminded that we're one body, joined together by Christ. And not only those of us who are in this room, but we are united to Christ's body throughout the world and throughout space and time, that all believers who've ever lived or ever will ever live, wherever they might be, that we are organically connected to them through Christ. As we celebrate communion, we remind ourselves of that truth. Now, as we say the Lord's Prayer together, as we did this morning, it's another way of expressing Christian unity, because this morning, there will be millions and millions and millions of believers around the world saying the Lord's Prayer just as we have. From all kinds of different cultures, contexts, all sorts of different expressions of church life, but together we proclaim, we pray as Jesus taught us to do. So the Lord's Prayer is wonderful because it helps us, gives us a structure from which we can learn to be more spontaneous, and it reminds us of how we're united as members of Christ's body. So what I want to do for the next few minutes is just look at the first part of this prayer and see how it teaches us to pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father. The way that Jesus starts this instruction on how to pray is amazing, but we can overlook it because we're so familiar with this phraseology. How? How do we pray? Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. Pray our Father. Pray to your Father. The way that Christians address God as Father is quite unique and utterly remarkable. In other faiths, they do not speak to God as Father. Feels a far too overfamiliar term. Uh, in other parts of Scripture, we learn that the spirit cry that bursts out of a believer is Abba, Father. This word Abba, which is an even more intimate term than our word Father, which can sometimes seem a little bit formal. It's this uh, Papa, Daddy, Father kind of expression, a sense of intimacy and closeness to God. But if you're a Christian, this is how you're to know God. Who is God? He's your Father. Amazing. And Christianity is defined then by family terms, by family language. When you become a Christian, when you come, to, come into faith of Jesus, you are adopted. You're chosen, brought in, adopted as a member of God's family. You are defined, described as God's child. And we together are brothers and sisters. That's how we're to see and understand one another. And this means that we're meant to experience the good stuff of family in our life together as the people of God. We're to know the love and the security that comes from having God as our Father and being in a family of brothers and sisters. We're to know the support of that and the openness of that and the encouragement of that. All the good stuff which should happen in family is meant to happen in the church of Jesus Christ because we are the family of God. And that means that prayer is also a family activity. It's a family event. Our prayer is always family. It's always corporate. See how Jesus teaches, Lord, teaches how to pray? Say, our Father. There's a, a corporateness to our prayer, a family sense, our Father. We, we don't enter prayer as solitary entities or as orphans. We always enter the place of prayer as members of God's family. And this is why it's good to actually pray with others. Certainly, my experience, I 
generally enjoy more and feel that I'm more fruitful in prayer when I'm praying with others often than when I'm praying with myself. And so this afternoon, we're still talking about prayer and worship nights. We've shifted it forward to 5, 5.30. It's not really, it's prayer and worship afternoon, let's call it that. When we gather this afternoon to pray and to worship, it's good to do that because it's good to pray with others. But the reality is that even when we're praying on our own, we're never praying on our own, we're always praying with others because we are always part of this family. So when Vicky's locked in her prayer closet airing cupboard, she's not going to be on her own. She wants to be on her own. She wants to shut the door in her family and see nobody and be completely alone. You're not going to be because she's still part of the family. Prayer is never on our own. It's always corporate. It's always family. And of course, the thing is, you have to be in the family to pray like this. This means that, that Christian prayer is different from other forms of prayer. Everybody prays. Every culture, every society prays. But Christian prayer is different because in order to pray to the Father, you need to know God as Father. And so again, as an invitation for those here this morning who don't yet know God as Father, you pray. But in order to really pray, you need to know the Father who can adopt you into his family. So turn to him and receive his love. And vitally, as we come to pray to our Father, we need to understand, Father, this Father is good. Jesus goes on to illustrate this a few verses on in Luke 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, there's a whole lot we can speak there about the focus of prayer being to know more of the Holy Spirit, oh, that's important. But see the goodness of God, this contrast that Jesus makes. You human fathers, evil. Jesus painting in broad brushstrokes. Compared to God, yes, evil. And you, human fathers, you give your kids good stuff. What will your heavenly Father give to you? So as we pray, we should come with confidence and come with liberty because we come to our Father. Next phrase, our Father who is in heaven. God is Father. He's, in a sense, like an earthly Father. When we talk about what is God like, the language we use to describe God is always limited and adequate because God's God and we're human. And so when we talk about God as our Father, it's a, in terms of how we understand that, it's like, like an earthly Father in some way. But He is not an earthly Father. He's a heavenly Father. And I think this is helpful for those who have had bad experiences of fathering of an earthly father, which, of course, tragically, many do. The reality is that earthly fathers can be good, bad, or indifferent. But our father is heavenly. Just think about that phrase, that expression. If something's heavenly, it's something which is really good, something which is beautiful, something which is desirable. Our father is heavenly. He's good. And because he's heavenly, he's in heaven, our Father in heaven, this, this speaks of his authority. Where is our Father? He's in heaven. Now, when my brother and I speak of our Father, our Father is our Father in Dulcie Road, which is a nice road, mainly used for learners to practice their three-point turns. And my father has some authority in his house as far as my mother will allow it. 
but that's about as far as it goes. That's my earthly father. Love you, Dad. <laughs> but we've got a heavenly father. He's not just in Dulcie Road. He's in heaven. That speaks of his authority, his kingly authority. So we come to our father who is good. We come to our father who is king. And so we should pray in those kind of terms on that kind of scale. That when we come to pray, we're praying to the God of the heavens. And that should raise up our prayer from being small and indifferent to a, a heavenly scale. Next phrase, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is a rather antiquated term. It's not really used anywhere now apart from in this prayer. Hallowed be your name means holy, being sacrosanct, sacred, something which is set apart. Uh, there should be a reverence to our prayers as well as a familiarity. Now, I think at our moment, our cultural moment, this point of history, the way our society is shaped at the moment, this sense of reverence, of awe, of what is sacred is, is particularly difficult for us to grasp. We're not really a culture which is very good at a sense of the holy. We're actually a, a culture which in many ways has intentionally upturned and desecrated things which would have been held sacred in the past. We're, we're not very good at a sense of awe. We've, we've trivialized so much of life. But we can get glimpses. I think people generally get glimpses of, of what is sacred, what is awe-inspiring, through other things, through, through the created order. It might be that you look at an amazing landscape, you look at an amazing sunset. Grace and I were walking the dogs on the beach yesterday afternoon. Think, actually, everybody in Paul who had a dog was on the beach yesterday afternoon. <laughs> After all the rain in the morning, it was chaos down there. Anyway, but the sky was awesome. And in the midst of all the chaos of thousands of whirling dogs, at one point, we managed to look up and say, look at the sky. And there's something of that sense of awesomeness, also almost something that's sacred. Or sometimes you might get a touch of it through music or maybe even through sports, something which happens where you just kind of, there's that emotional but beyond emotional, that, that soulful response, something which every part of you kind of tingles and you say, that is awesome. And the, another way to think of this might be, what would you really grieve over? What would you mourn over if, it was, if somebody despoiled it? That can give us a sense of the sacred. It, it might be that there's a particular view that you love, and if somebody came and dug it all up and planted concrete all over it, that would cause you grief because it would feel that it's been despoiled, something which is very precious to you. Or, or maybe if somebody broke into your house and you could cope with them, stealing loads of stuff, but if somebody defaced, smashed, vandalized a precious family photo, that might be the thing which in your soul would cause you grief because something sacred almost has been touched. Or if someone you love was attacked and despoiled, it's that sense of, this shouldn't be touched. What is that thing in your life where you'd say, don't touch this, don't touch this, this is too precious, you're not allowed to touch this. I think if you can grasp that, you can grasp something of what the sacred is, of what the awesome is. And when we come to God, our Father, it should be with that sense of what is most precious, what is most awe-inspiring, what is most sacred, what is most holy. And as we pray, we are identifying that. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You above all are most precious, most valuable, most holy, sacred, Wonderful. 
And, and our prayer is identifying of, of that, who God is, what he's like. And it's also a, expressing a desire that others would see it. That the name of God would not be dragged through the mud, but by, might be lifted up as it should be. And so as we pray, our Father, hallowed be your name, we're identifying who we recognize God to be, but also praying, Lord God, let others see who you truly are. Let others see that in order to touch what is most awe-inspiring, to grasp it, to feel it, they need to know you. And that means that prayer is worship. Because as we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, we're identifying who God is, we're proclaiming who he is, actually we're boasting in who he is. And so this afternoon, as we gather to worship and to pray, as we pray, we should be worshiping. As we worship, we should be praying. And then the last phrase of this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The children of God who boast in him, and that means that we should want things done his way. We want things done God's way. Our, our hope is in that in the end, heaven and earth will become one. The passage we often read is from Revelation 21, where John sees this vision, and it's, he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Now, this is what ultimately we are anticipating. That heaven comes down to earth. Heaven and earth are joined. That we dwell with God. That we see God. We know him around us. That he does deal with death and with our crying and with our pain. That's what we're anticipating. That's our great Christian hope, that all things will be made new. But while we're anticipating that, our prayer is that earth now would somehow be more like heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is from heaven. And, and praying like that is helpful because it... What it can do is it, can, it shifts us off the territory where often we can get stuck in our prayers. Because inevitably, what tends to happen is that we prayer bubbles to our knee, to our lips, when we feel a particular need. And that's fine. We're meant to ask for the things we need. One of the things we'll be looking at in next week is we pray, give us this day our daily bread. We're meant to come and ask our Father to supply for us, but we can kind of get stuck there, I think, that maybe that can be actually the only way we really pray, is when we feel that we need something, then a prayer bubbles to our lips. And, or we can diminish our prayers into something which is just too small. We can get stuck into, in the territory of, our, of the be with prayers, or be with this person, be with this person, when if they're a Christian, God is already with them. We don't even need to pray that prayer because he is, he dwells in them. And we can get stuck in these prayers which are actually small. And when we remind ourselves what Jesus teaches us, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it expands the reach, the scope of our prayers. We're, we're praying big prayers. We're praying kingdom-sized, heaven-sized prayers. Kingdom come prayers are expansive. 
Lord, your will on earth as it is in heaven. That's a big prayer. And we're to pray kingdom-sized prayers. Praying like this also helps our prayers to be more specific. One of the limitations of our prayers can be when they're just kind of general prayers. Lord, bless all the people. I hope for the end of world poverty. Kind of meaningless prayers, really. Prayer prayer needs to have a focus. It needs to have a specificity about it. And and praying your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, as in heaven helps our prayers to focus, helps our prayers to be more specific. In this situation, in this person's life, in this thing which is causing so much trouble, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Praying kingdom-shaped prayers both expands our prayers and helps to bring a laser-like focus to them. And sometimes those kingdom-type prayers can feel almost impossible prayers to pray. If you've been stuck in a personal situation which hasn't seemed to budge, maybe something in your life or a loved one's life which is just as it's been for weeks or months or years, and you, sometimes it can be difficult to pray. Or maybe thinking about global affairs, thinking about the situation in Ukraine a year on. When's it going to end? It can be difficult to pray these prayers. But we come to our Father, who is in heaven, the Holy One, who is building his kingdom. And so we can and should and must pray. Your kingdom come in this situation. Your will be done here, on, heaven, in he- on earth, this place. This house, this life, this nation, as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. And so, as we start these 21 days of prayer, let's come with this this sense of liberty and freedom and confidence because we're coming to our Father. We're family members. We're welcomed in. Let's come with a sense of amazement that he is the God of heaven, which means he has all authority. And when we pray, we are seeking to experience and know his authority in our lives. He's the, he's the God who is holy. Let's have a sense of awe as we come to God. Reverence, wonder. And let's pray kingdom-shaped, kingdom-sized prayers for things in our life, for things in this church, our town, our nation, and the nations of the world. Let's, let's pray. Let's spend time these three weeks praying kingdom-shaped prayers. Let's pray for breakthrough. Let's pray that 2023 will be a year when we see more of the kingdom of God breaking out in our experience. Let's pray that we would see his power at work in our experience at Gateway Church. Let's pray that this new baptistry tank <laughs> thing we have got will be filled and people getting baptized much more than happened last year. Let's pray that we'd see evidence of God's grace break into people's lives. Let's pray for evidence of God's healing power in people's lives. Let's pray kingdom-shaped prayers for people who've got stuck in mental health issues and need to know fresh freedom and liberty. Let's pray for that. Let's pray for those who have experienced, feel isolated, to know that they're part of a family. Let's pray for those who don't know Christ to find him, to be born again, added into his people. Let's pray. Let's look for the kingdom of God to be more and more evident amongst us. Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we pray this. Father, we pray this. Pray that our experience would be one of delighting in you, our heavenly Father who is good and gives us good things. We do pray, Jesus. Oh, Son of God. Son of the Father, 
as we come to your Father in prayer, that we would know more of the Holy Spirit, active and present at work in us, that we would see more of the kingdom breaking out amongst us, that this church, us, this part of your family, this part of your body here would be full of the life of God, and that we would know how to pray. I pray even these three weeks, Father, that we'd learn better how to pray. Jesus, teach us how to pray. That we ask in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Shall we stand? We're going to come and worship. And as we do that, we're going to take communion together. This is the first time we've taken communion in this building. So what I'd encourage you to do is the band lead us in the next song. Come and take bread and wine. There's stations at the front and the back. And then let's come back to our seats. Let's hold on to it. And the end of the song, I'll come and lead us. And let's take communion together, celebrating our union, our oneness in Christ and all that means for us. Let's worship, let's come and take the bread and wine.